All right, USC told Utah not so fast when it comes to the Pac-12 South, but, I mean, really, when you look over the last week's games, there's only one. The Cougs. The Cougs. Oh, no, the Cougs. All that and more on this week's Eligible Receivers. For Eric, I'm Warren. Let's start the show. Hello, blog fans. Ineligible receiver. Offense number 64. By rule, that penalty is disregarded. This is Eligible Receivers, the show where we review last week's Pac-12 action, pick next week's Pac-12 games against the spread, and keep track of how we're doing on our picks over the course of the season. So, let's start it off on Friday night. Utah at USC. If not now, then when? Utah went in, and I'll tell you what, USC on their, what, second quarterback, their starting quarterback gets injured. The back, the third, you know, the second backup, rather, the third string guy comes in, and... They just light up Utah and they win 30 to 23. Technically the fourth string guy, I think, because going into the season, I believe the depth chart was Daniels, Slovis, uh, Sears, then Fink. Sears transferred. JT Daniels got hurt in week one. Uh, Keedon Slovis or whatever got hurt early in this game. Enter Matt Fink. And a testament to the embarrassment of riches that is USC's team. Uh, this guy, Matt Fink, looks like he's like a pretty good quarterback, actually. Yeah, I mean, how's that for a debut out of nowhere? Uh, 351 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, that is not slouch work against what is billed to be an excellent Utah defense. I mean, top 10 team in the country. Yeah, but they didn't look – I mean, that defense looked porous against this Fink guy, and they were playing press coverage against – the strength of USC's team, which was their big receivers. It, it just didn't make any sense. And so, I mean, you know, give give USC and, and Matt Fink credit for giving his receivers a chance. They were going up and getting some passes, and then other passes, they were just wide open. Um, but uh, Utah, to me, is a story here. Like, you know, we said at the beginning of the season, the next time Utah has an offense will be the first time. And lo and behold, you know, they get on the road, in you know the Coliseum, albeit against a you know a USC team that that arguably is I mean very talented but not very USC esque of years past, and you know Utah doesn't have an offense again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think for me, it's twofold. Yeah, it's like Utah solves the same old problem. I'm going to give you three angles on it. Yeah, problem with Utah's offense. Two, which you touched on. USC's insane stable of wide receivers uh, to lead off with Michael Pittman Jr., but certainly not to stop there. He had 232 yards in that game uh, on 10 catches. So, like, 10 times the quarterback went back and got 20 yards, you know? I mean, that, yeah, that's, you know, average. on the average. You know what I mean? He had some big average. And then three, for me, the deal is, is like, you uh, uh, this season in this Clay Helton era couldn't be set up better for Utah to come in and dominate the Pac-12 South. And they're going to leave this thing with, like, how many, like, one Pac-12 title game appearance against Washington in that dog shit championship game last year? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. you got to wonder, again, what, what it is going to take for Utah to get an offense that can really hang and, you know, it's prime time right now for them in, in the Pac-12 South. It's not a very good division. Yeah, UCLA's they, down. USC's, like, flaky. 
Arizona schools aren't anything to write home about. I mean, they're okay, but they're not they're not killing it. I mean, this is the time. If you're Utah and they're nowhere to be found when it comes to, you know, games like this, they should win these games and they just they just don't. I mean, well, my thought on USC this year is that they're going to be uh tremendously erratic because they have all that talent and so little coaching, you know. Uh that you know that they're just clearly not getting the most out of it because they are Jekyll and Hyde week to week. Uh yep. so I you know, I don't say Utah's out of the Pac-12 South race this season because I think USC is going to stumble a couple times. But, uh, yeah, it's just got to be tremendously disheartening if you're Kyle Whittingham. Uh, and you might be saying here in a few months when other jobs come open, have I taken Utah as far as I can? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, all right. Uh, so let's get to the Saturday games. Let's start it off on the farm. Oregon and Stanford. Uh, Oregon looking to avenge. Last year's game where uh, they fumbled away uh, the game trying to ice the clock, ended up losing a game where they had a 99.9% win probability. Uh, They go back down to the farm, and I'll tell you what, uh, playing a Stanford team with their backup quarterback, missing key players on the offensive line, uh, and generally down on their luck. I mean, they're potentially a bad Stanford team. Oregon didn't, like, blow the doors off them or anything here. Now, Oregon only scored 21 points in this game. They win 21 to 6, so they cover. But uh, I'm not overwhelmed. Yeah, I think this game was, I mean, just boring, for lack of a better term. Stanford is completely neutered. I mean, they've got nothing on offense. They don't have, you know, Costello doesn't look good. They're, they're big, tall wide receivers. I think they still got uh, Colby Parkinson, but he's he just looks, you know, basically just big and slow at this point. He doesn't look like our Sega Whiteside did in the past. Um, they, they have nothing at, I think the running back uh, Scarlett is, you know, is a far cry from Bryce Love or, you know, Toby Gerhardt or Christian McCafferty or the, you know, the, the running backs, the stable of running backs that they've had over the years. It's just a bad Stanford team, to be honest with you. The tackles are both injured as we talked about and Oregon, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of like you. I just, it, it was all right. I mean, they scored 21 points against a, a pretty bad team. It's a good road win, I suppose, and they did cover up pretty comfortably. So, I guess good game, guys. I guess, yeah. You you were saying that this game was boring. I, I, that kind of scoreline that to me strikes me as like a Big Ten blowout, like old school, you know? Yeah. We're like one team dominates, you know, but did they, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's like Michigan State Northwestern. Yeah, you know? exa- like, exactly. Who I think ended up with about that scoreline exactly this week. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because right. I, I, I happened to watch some of that because I think it might have been the lead into Washington, or or was on right before Washington at the least. But I think that game maybe ended like twenty-one to ten or something like that. But yeah, yeah. um, so I mean, good Oregon takes care of business. Good road win. Uh, Stanford's been a bugaboo for them over the years, so they'll take it any way they can get it. Next up, let's go to Oxford, Mississippi. This was a nine a.m. kick. Cal undefeated on the season. Big upset winners at Washington. They go to SEC country and. They win a game 28 to 20, which finished with a uh, bizarre officiating where Ole Miss on the second to last play of the game uh, appeared to have crossed the goal line or at least close enough that you might take a look at it. The Pac-12 officials disagreed. Ole Miss was out of timeouts rather than the officials stopping the clock to check and see if Ole Miss had scored a touchdown. Uh, they, you know, had to run the next play with under 10 seconds to go. Uh, 
got like a sneak off, you know, barely before the clock hit triple zeros, but it got stoned because Ole Miss wasn't really set and wasn't really sure what they were doing. Uh, so Cal ends up winning the game. Uh, it's the complaint I saw after the game was that, uh, people, you know, and I don't know if these are just Ole Miss fans or Cal fans were pretty convinced that Ole Miss had actually scored a touchdown there and should have had the opportunity to go for two to tie it. Oh, yeah. I don't care. Like, again, the same thing we talked about with ASU, Michigan State last week. If you're Ole Miss and you let a California team come in to your to your stadium in deep in SEC country and you're relying on the officials to grant you a touchdown on the second-to-last play of the game and then you have to go execute a two-point conversion after that, um, I just, you're just going to have to take the L in my book, and that's just how it goes. Um, I, I have – a I am looking at a line here that I don't understand. Chase Garbers, Cal's quarterback, 23 of 35 for 357 and four touchdowns. Is that, can that be over 10 yards an attempt? Yeah. Is it Cal? Are these the Cal Bears we're talking about here? That's uh, impressive, I would say. That's shocking to me that, that Cal's offense, and that's a real stat. I mean, that's like a real line for a quarterback. It's impressive. I I mean, I, you know, you touched on the controversy of the game. I think the bigger takeaway for me, again, I mean, is Cal's undefeated now. They've got a legit win against, you know, any SEC opponent you go in and play, like, good, good for you. And good for Cal, right? Like, they didn't schedule LSU. They scheduled Old Miss. You know, you schedule Old Miss on a home-and-home, and, home and there's like a 50 60% chance you're going to get a, a bad team. And they timed it up right and got a bad team and beat them in SEC country, like, good for them, man. Yep, I agree with that. What it evoked for me, and I just looked this up, was a 2013 game, Arizona State and Wisconsin. Uh, if you remember, that one ended under similar circumstances where Wisconsin ended up, the, the refs ended up letting the clock run out after Wisconsin thought they had killed it inside Arizona State's 10, down two. And so they were unable to get the field goal off. Uh, where they clearly would have won the game if not for an officiating error. And it was kind of an officiating error slash player error because the quarterback at that point didn't quite realize they didn't have a timeout left, made a move to kneel, and then put the ball on the ground. And then it was like, oh, no, everybody's got to fight over this fumble. And Wisconsin got it, but then the clock was ticking and it ran out on him. That's life, man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and obviously, in Cal's defense, uh, one amazing season for, or amazing game, rather, for Garbers, and then uh, two, uh, you know, obviously can't count on the refs, like we've been saying, and how about three, like, what's what's to say Ole Miss, you know, like, what's their percentage on two-point conversions, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. They're so far from winning this game, in my opinion, that I think, get out of town. You know, you're at home. You need the refs to give you that touchdown. Then you need to turn around and execute a two-point conversion. Like, get out of here. And then you got to win the game in overtime, you know? I mean, like, yeah, there's there's a lot still to happen. A lot still to happen. Yeah. Okay, uh, next up we had a uh, great win for the Bears. Uh, Colorado, Arizona State, ranked Arizona State, coming off their big win over Michigan State. Uh, Arizona State, you couldn't score. You wouldn't pay to watch them. Well, they put up 31 points in this game, but, oh, these buffs. 34 to 31 winners on the road. Buffs are going to be a tough little team to figure this season. Yeah. I mean, and especially because LaVisca Chenault got hurt early in the first quarter 
first drive for Colorado, he gets injured on a on a sort of a, a I don't know, I forget if it was a bubble screen or like a revert, but he comes out comes out to the right side, goes down. Didn't look like there was anything in it, but he came out of the game and never went back in. And Colorado still has the you know has the stones to stand in there with Arizona State and you know at Arizona State Stadium. 34-31, like, this is a good-ass good game. Like, I like this game. This is fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, Colorado's uh, problem this season has been uh, getting stomped in the first half, and they actually made it to halftime with a lead in this game, and it was the lead that, you know, the three-point lead that they held through the end of the game. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of lively, you know? I mean, even after the stumble against Air Force, good to see them pick themselves back up and get a nice conference win. Yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, if you're Colorado right now, you're feeling pretty good. I'll tell you, he's not feeling good. Wait a minute. Let's let's just let's a minor breach in protocol. Okay. For the week. Let's talk the Husky BYU game because yeah, 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 yeah. That's fair. That's fair. That. There are games <laughs> and there are just games. And there's like you know what I mean. Like I, you know, you know, you know me. We, yeah. We've known each other for some time. I love the dogs. Like I love you know we leave them for last every week. But, you know, they came out against BYU and they just basically asserted in the first quarter that they were the far superior team and program. They did it again in the third quarter. Both of those quarters were 21-point quarters. They beat up on a BYU team. I was happy to see it. What was your take? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, when I was watching this game, uh, just the, you know, I mean, I think after the uh, Eastern game, we talked about the best version of Jacob Eason. uh, And what we saw in this BYU game was just like a, a, a super human version of Jacob Eason in terms of some of the windows he was putting balls into. And, uh, in the, in the, the, you know, just the, the velocity that was required to get in there, but still put them in places where his receivers could catch them. And I'll tell you for all the flack Washington's receivers have gotten and rightfully so for having certainly their limitations, uh, they appear to be able to handle what Jacob Eason can throw, which matters because he has an NFL arm. <laughs> like, yeah, I actually, I actually like a couple of the throws that he made. I was equal parts impressed with the throw, and then also like, better not do that against a good team. Yeah, right. Like that that window, as small as it is against you know BYU secondary, is not going to be there against USC or Oregon secondary probably. So like, let's, let's, let's holster that sidearm for that, you know, for those games and let's find a better, you know, cause he is actually in this game was just almost, I mean, comically fitting balls into, into windows that you just wouldn't recommend, but he's got such insane arm strength that he just got it in there and BYU just couldn't do anything about it. Yeah, exactly. They, they had routes reasonably well covered and against, any lesser quarterback, which is virtually every other one in college football right now, in terms of the ability to make those throws, uh, they're uh, either interceptions or, or incompletes at best. I mean, and it was just fantastic. And uh, what else do I want to say? Oh, Aaron Fuller, big punt return TD in this game. Sean McGrew uh, for the yeah. showing so and some life for the first time in his Husky career. It was the first time you'd see him finish runs where he would uh, get forward quickly and then at the end of it uh, get his pads down and get those extra couple yards. You know, not to the Miles Gaskin level because Miles Gaskin's an absolute ninja, you know, but like 
he was going forward on contact, which is not something that he uh, had done. And it was big because uh, Ahmed had a leg injury, which uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think he carried the ball 20 plus times against Hawaii when apparently we knew going into that game that he had a leg injury. So uh, I don't know what's going on there, but uh, good on McGrew and good on Newton. And even Kamari Pleasant had a run or two in this game where it's just like, uh, I mean, honestly, first good Kamari Pleasant run I've ever seen uh, to go with all those good Sean McGrew's runs that I'd never seen before. So I, I question our injury management if we're, Feeding Ahmed the Rock against a Hawaii team, we look to be pretty comfortable against. Uh, I, I don't think they. Maybe they just are so comfortable with the the depth. I mean, the the running backs. I mean, there's three dudes that seem to be. I mean, I'm not even sure I would say Ahmed's the number one guy right now. Like McGrew and Newton look so good, um, as you said, finishing runs, powerful, low to the ground. Um, you know, just that extra couple of yards on those first and second down runs make all the difference on those third down and short versus third and long and third and medium. Um, you know, Ahmed has a tendency to kind of dance a little bit, doesn't seem to have a great nose for the hole. Um, and so I, I just was happy to see McGrew like you were and, and Newton looks like he's a stud, um, you know, breaking out this season. So, yeah, I mean, all good things. If you're a Husky fan, BYU doesn't look like they're that great, but you know what the hell they beat USC and they beat, Tennessee, so, you know, it's a good win. Yeah, they're fine, and you have to think BYU's schedule's got to moderate here, and I'm I'm going to confirm whether that's the case here. At Toledo, South Florida could be tricky. Boise, Utah State, Liberty, Idaho State, Massachusetts, San Diego State. So they're kind of, besides Boise State and South Florida, I don't know what they are this year. They're, I mean, just by virtue of having Florida athletes, they could be tough, more manageable the second half. So, yeah, like, they, sure. they're, you know, with Tennessee and USC, they've kind of done – what they came to do in the early part of their season where their schedule was looking so tough. The one thing I did want to say about Newton is I had uh, laughed last week about how on these uh, wild dick plays that yeah. he was just never in a million years handing the ball off. Uh, I would like to go back to that because uh, he tried that a couple times against BYU and the ball hit the ground. Yeah. He fumbled. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. I mean, maybe they, maybe we wanted to show that he was capable of handing it off. Uh, whatever. Look, Let's just yeah. have it be a run. The one thing I don't like about those plays, even though they appear to be somewhat effective, so keep running them, but I disagree with the idea of like, like if you're going to run it, uh, put a wide receiver or put a tight end out wide to add another blocker rather than uh, start the play 10 on 11. Like, yeah. I don't see what the point is of having the quarterback up there. Uh, to I mean, I mean, maybe part of it is like you get the element of surprise in there and like that's the trade-off you want to make uh because you run it quick uh and then all of a sudden the team has to deal with their you know past defense personnel with having to deal with what is clearly going to be a run up the middle but uh i just as uh from a strategic standpoint i think it's always better to have as many viable players on the field as possible uh so yeah. i don't know uh and let me tell you something about this game uh saturday was the last good weather day of the uh, Puyallup fair and we hadn't gone yet and so at halftime yep. with Washington up 24 to 12 and watching what I had seen, I was like, oh, well, we're winning. Uh, we took off so I could take the kids to the fair uh, mm-hmm. for two reasons, uh, because I think, it's, you know, it's good to go to the fair. Good, like local tradition, get on some rides. And two, for me, selfishly, I'm eating an elephant ear 
uh, I get one elephant ear a year. It's important to me. And I was going to get it. I wasn't going to let that slip sure. through my hands. And part of the reason I felt comfortable uh, going to that game is because from what I'd seen of Washington BYU, no way in a million years, even with a 12-point lead, no way were we ever in a million years going to lose that game. Yeah, I agree with that. Which takes us to Washington State UCLA. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! What, what a thing this was. Yeah. Oh my god. So I'm sitting here. I have the game on. It's the only game in town, right? You know, my 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 uh, daughter had gone to a sleepover that night. My son, he had he had soccer in the morning supposed to take a rest during like the first half of the Washington game, which he doesn't I that kid either falls down for a nap immediately for like three hours or he's just not sleeping. But so no sleep. Then went to the fair where he goes crazy, gets home. I mean, he's zonked by like, you know, like n- not too far after eight, which is, and and that's after like falling asleep in the car on the way home, you know, like that, this is like a big deal. He can stay up a little late sometimes. Uh, so I'm like, all right, we're watching Washington State, UCLA, and the Cougs are in Coug heaven, you know. Gardner Minshew is out there. Uh, you know, it's a celebration. Anthony Gordon in this game. Uh, 570 yards passing for a school record nine touchdowns. And this is a school where Mike Leach has been there for a significant period of time at that point. Yeah. All-time record for touchdown passes in a game. And... Uh, they're up, I want to say 42 to 19 or something like that. Uh, or, you know, let's say 42 to 17, excuse me, in the third quarter, maybe even 45 to 17. And then all of a sudden Chip Kelly's offense showed up in a hurry. Yeah. Like in a damn hurry. Yeah. All of a sudden this Chip Kelly offense that had, they, they hadn't scored 50 points on the season. In the second half of this game, they scored 50 points. All of a sudden, they could not be stopped. And you you could, I mean, you could see it. You could, it's weird. You could see it happening, even though WSU had such an insurmountable lead of 32 points mid third quarter in this game. All, once UCLA got two of those scores back, you were just like, uh oh, you know, the trouble coming. And yeah. sure, I mean, and WSU struck back during this game. They were they scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter of this game in a game where they had led it by thirty plus points in the third quarter and managed to lose. WSU took a thirty-five point first half. 35 to 17 lead into the locker room and they scored 28 points in the second half and they lost and they lost the quarterback threw for nine touchdowns and they lost. It's, it's just nuts, man. Like it's just absolutely insane in UCLA. I mean, they couldn't get off. They couldn't get off the mat for anybody. They played this year. As you said, they 14 points was the standard score for them. Their offense couldn't do anything. I mean, they scored 50 points in the second half of this game. And and there's just no there's no explaining it. You know, WSU's like defense isn't you know, I don't think it's top 10 defense, top maybe not even top 20 defense, but it's like a decent like 
power five conference defense. Like, you know, and when you, when you combine that with the, with the air raid offense, like that's a pretty formidable team. And they've got a running back this year and Max Borgie, who's drawn comparisons to Christian McCafferty. And I can see it. Like you look at him, you're like, yeah, okay, I get it. Um, It, it is just one of the most insane Cougats of all time. And they hate that term. But the deal is this, like, if you don't like that term, like you got to go an extended period of time where shit like this doesn't happen to you because this, this is, Absolutely nuts. Like, you can't explain this. With with four minutes and 41 seconds left to go in the third quarter, USC failed to convert a third down. Yeah. And ended up, you know, I mean, they, you know, and they, so like they had them too. If they get a, it, WSU at that point in the game had a 99.9% chance of winning the game. You know, if they're able to stop a fourth and six and get them off the field. And then UCLA scores. And then all of a sudden, it's just like turnover. All of a sudden, they can't, WSU can't hold on to the ball. They they were fumbling it left and right. Uh, Thompson Robinson for, US, for UCLA, rather, all of a sudden is throwing all over. UCLA is getting, uh, you know, punt return TDs. You know, everything. And the thing is, UCLA came back to take the lead. WSU took the lead back from them. And I swear to you, until the clock hit triple zero, so when WSU got the ball there with like a minute left, I'm like, well, this was cute, but the Cougs are about to go the length of the field. Because, to recap, their quarterback threw for 570 yards. It's not like they could stop him. Nope. It was good. Yeah. I I mean, the biggest stat in the whole game, though, is the – plus five turnovers for UCLA because that's that's the whole thing right there in the second half. That that did it. Yeah, and one, one of my favorite, our friend Levine, uh, maybe the best point he ever made. Uh, in a lifetime of bad points. Yeah, but he made a good one uh, regarding Washington State's fight song, right? Which uh, is, uh, which I'll, I'll recognize it as more uh, singable and probably objectively a better fight song than the University of Washington's, which is a little goofy in terms of melody and the words in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a little forced. Uh it's the Washington State fight song, simple song, good song, Cougs are fired up, easy for them to sing along to. They have a line in that song where it where it goes like the first line of the song I think is fight, fight, fight for Washington State. Win the victory. Right? Which Levine pointed out is like, well, how what does that mean? That's a he I think the phrase he used, which was a little crass, he said it's like shit the poop. But the the point being is that like what that thing is already the th- like you don't need to do anything to the victory it is secured. But the re- but yeah. the reason yeah. that lines in the song is because you have to say when is a victory not a victory, and the answer is when you're a cougar, when you lose the victory. Yeah, exactly because <laughs> you have the victory, and for most people that's enough that you've you've done your job. If you're a cougar, the victory then must be secured. You have to double yeah, win every game. <laughs> I remember that. That was, I mean, he, he made that point some time ago, and and it sticks with me every time I watch a coup game. I remember, I remember that that exact phrase, and it it's a good point, man. They, I, I don't know why the sky falls on these guys. It's sad. <laughs> it's sad. Are there, are there, you know, I there are coups at work, right? Who I've interacted with this week post the game. I have not brought the game up. 
I, you can't. I mean, you just can't. It's like, too cruel. I mean, I don't know. They hate the term, you know, Cougat, and it's and I get why they hate it. I'm not going to stop saying it because I like it. I'm going to tell you why I like the term. Yeah. Um, but but you would like it's easy enough to just go a reasonable period of time, and you think like with Mike Leach as your coach, it's the best, you know, one of the best runs the program's ever been on. You know, the odds that you're going to have just these insane, remarkable losses are, are diminished. But yet, you know, pretty consistently they pull them out. Uh, you know, they got the bowl game a couple years ago against – was it Colorado State or New, was it the Mexico Bowl where they – Yeah. They pulled that They pulled that loss right out of the jaws of victory. They failed to win the victory. Um, and then and then a couple – you know, a couple years later, here we are watching just this – horrible UCLA team that hadn't done anything and gotten completely crunched by everybody they played all year going into Pullman on a, you know, on a nighttime game against a Washington state offense that cannot be stopped. And, and they score 50 points in the second half to erase a 35 point deficit to win. Like, I don't know, man. I just don't know. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. Uh, so uh, what a get, what a finish. And the, the sad thing about that is that that game turned so late because it was the late game on ESPN that few people were covering it live because anybody in their right mind had moved on, <laughs> had said, all right, that's Saturday. Washington State blew out UCLA. But what a yeah. thing to behold it was. <laughs> poor guys, man. Those poor guys. Those poor sons of bitches. Uh, how'd we do on picks last week? You and I went four and two on the week. You took USC, whereas I stuck with Utah to my detriment. I went with UCLA in this game. I went with UCLA. Golly. I've, I saw you're telling me that if WSU just just keep, just run, goes conservative somehow. They cover an 18.5 point spread, and yet they lose the game. Yeah. Um, so so that's where you and I uh, separated, and but we, the net result was the same at 4-2. and two. Worm had a rough week. Uh, Utah, Old Miss, ASU, and WSU letting him down. Um, two and four. That leaves uh, on the season. You maintain your four game lead over me at twenty eight and twelve. I uh, therefore am twenty four and sixteen. And Worm is flirting with that five hundred at twenty one and nineteen. Uh, needs to turn it around this week. Yep. All right. I'm gonna. So let's get into next week's games. We start off Friday night uh, in Berkeley, California, is hosting Arizona State. I'm going to give Cal a kiss of death here. I've, all right, maybe they're good. Uh, Cal by five in this game. I like Cal. Do you now? I don't know. I like. I mean, they're going to lose some games, but I just don't. I, I don't know if it's going to be this one. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think the problem is, is that is that the Herm train is is riding a true freshman quarterback. And Friday he night threw for 300 it. yards last week. I know, but Friday night road games, Utah just just bit the dust on a Friday night road game. Like Friday night road games are the kiss of death for Pac-12 teams. Um, just it doesn't seem like the the road team on a Friday night ever has any success. That's true. So on that basis alone, I'm going to take Cal myself. Yeah, and that Worm's doing the same. So we are all three on the Bears bandwagon. And let's move to Saturday and start off with a game that. Before the season, well, now you're looking at it and saying, well, is this a game maybe? Oregon State's at home. They are four-point dogs to Stanford. I think. Home dog, one of the juiciest things to have in gambling. 
Yeah, I don't know though because it's. It, can you imagine being a, a someone who sets lines in Vegas, having seen the 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 brutal schedule that Stanford has endured and all the injuries and the, just the horrible situation that was last week's game, and then setting them as a, I mean, a fairly prohibitive favorite on the road here, like that's a you know four points on the road is 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 Vegas basically saying you should win this game like pretty comfortably. Yeah. And if memory serves, the last couple times that Stanford has gone to Oregon State, they haven't fared particularly well and have won in kind of like a fluky manner. I'm I'm on the beeps. Golly. I like it. I got I have to say, if you were on Stanford, I was gonna be on the beeves. Uh but I'll I'll take Stanford. I feel I, my theory is is that they're gonna just that this game is going to like, I'd say, give me, I love the under in this game. It's 57 and a half is the number. I, I don't like, I don't like that. Yeah. Give definitely the under, uh, but I, I Stanford is going to kind of, you know, have like a little last gasp about who they are, get a conference win. Uh, but I think this, this will take some watching. Yeah. I think this could be, potentially be a very good game. Yeah. Next up, Washington State. No rest for the weary. They're going to Utah. Both of these teams extremely disappointing last week. Utes are at home. Five point favorites with an over under that is less. The number here is less than the Stanford Oregon State number somehow. What? Yeah, they're saying 50, I think that- 57 total points. That's less than WSU scored last week. Yeah. Yeah. That's not right. That's wrong. I disagree with that. Yeah. So I'd like the over on that one. Yeah. Uh, and. Do we know. Do we know if Utah's running back is playing because he got injured against. I, do, I kind of don't feel like he is. Moss. I mean, it, that can make a difference in this game. Here's, here's what I think, though. Like, I. I went to the Utah-Washington uh, game a few years ago when Dante Pettis won it for the dogs on a, a punt return where there may or may not have been several infractions that were overlooked um, during the course of that play. It is a it is a rough place to play for an opposing team. Like, it's pretty pretty daunting. For a stadium that I think holds, like, about 48,000, um, it felt big. It was a loud crowd. It was a rough crowd. I mean, very nice people outside of the stadium. I had no complaints with the Utah fans, but, but inside, like they, they were ornery. Um, it, it was intimidating and, and I felt like it was a great win. I, this is a bad spot for WSU. Um, you know, Utah's got one extra day of rest. They're pissed off. WSU has got to be just reeling. Um, I I'm on Utah in this game. What this is a really good game because it's two teams the last few years that have been really you know players in the conference races and it's almost like a a, a loser go home type of game. Had both won last week, I I would have think that this I mean potentially had game of the year. I mean it would be top two or three game of the year in the conference. Yeah, I mean it'd be up there, right? I mean, both neither of them would have been, both of them would have been undefeated. You're you're going both of them would have been in the top fifteen probably. I mean, it for sure would have gotten game day. I mean, for sure. Game day is going to Nebraska this week for Nebraska-Ohio State. And second, like the second place 
game, I think, was was Washington USC, two teams ranked in the twenties. Like this would be the game day game if if they both hadn't choked. I just I just think it's a tough spot for WSU to go into a hostile environment against a pissed off Utes team. Um, I, I don't I don't like that. What I'm seeing is that Moss is questionable uh, for the game. Who knows? You know that he only played one quarter against USC, uh, and also that Tyler Huntley is questionable. Uh, which I don't know how much that matters because I think they've kind of reached the ceiling of what they can do with him. Yeah, uh, I'll 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 take WSU road yeah, dogs on this one. One thing I would say for a team like Washington State, uh, if they if that last game had taken place in Pasadena, uh, I feel like they pull it out easy. Uh, because the the problem with the baggage that they carry in front of the home fans who are aware of it, uh, the the bad vibes descend. Yeah. Uh, and uh, maybe not being in front of their fans is, would be something nice. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, all right. Uh, UCLA and Arizona. Here we got a football game here. Arizona uh, lost to Hawaii, but then they turn around, they beat Texas Tech, they beat Northern Arizona. Uh, Khalil Tate, uh, you know, back to what you want to see, the leading rusher. But did UCLA figure it out did they get a test a taste rather of what it's supposed to be what the offense is supposed to be so you know which ucla team are you going to get on the road here uh the first half against washington state or the second half against washington state uh for me i i how can you how can you i don't know i mean i'll pick this one first just to give you the benefit of it Everything's telling me UCLA has potentially turned a corner here. And because I don't know what's going on, I want the points. Uh, but I'm going to fade my instinct here and take the Wildcats. <laughs> Minus seven and a half. Yeah, coming off a bye. Um, Arizona, you know, UCLA on the road, second week in a row. You know, weird things at least happen to UW in the desert. I don't know what if, what UCLA's history in the desert is like, but it seems like weird things always happen in the desert. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm with you in that. My my instinct is there's too many points. Like this, that's that's my issue. Is that Arizona just hasn't done it for me. I, but I'm also very concerned that UCLA is going to come out and just completely, you know, have celebrated all week and do the UCLA thing where they, you know, they that's the knock on UCLA, right? Soft and not focused and all of that. Um, you're going to take Zona. I will get on the other side of that and take UCLA. We'll we'll see. Hopefully they fight their instinct and show up and place. You know, if they if their offense has it going, like just by virtue of the fact that. They're going to be able to score the ball. This will be a tough line to cover up. Yeah, and then uh, to the extent UCLA's defense had success against Washington State, a part of that obviously was they were making wide receivers fumble and stuff like that. But also on the last play of the game, they were just you know pinning their ears back. Their last drive, their last turnover they got to ice it, uh, pinning their ears back to get after Anthony Gordon, uh, uh, who they forced to fumble. Uh, they you cannot do that against Khalil Tate. Because he's going to run for 400 yards. Yeah, and, that's true. Uh, so I'm going to say uh, a big, you know, c- continue the Khalil Tate back to 2017 form return party. 
This could be, it should be a good game. I'm interested. In yeah, there's a lot of like intriguing Pac-12 matchups this week. And then finally, we'll start off with an excellent game between two ranked teams in Husky Stadium, just like it used to be, just as God intended. 12:30 kickoff on national television. Washington hosts USC. The Dogs are 10 point favorites, I guess, against Matt Fink. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, per the rule of the pod, we will all take University of Washington. However, what this this line uh, perplexes me. Does it does it not seem high to you? Yes, I think what. Uh, yeah, yeah, because. Yes, I agree. I agree. It seems high. I think like USC, by virtue of their athletes in conference, have every chance of winning every, any game that kicks off. Uh, I think the th- thought here is potentially that, or the the reason, the case I would make for a Washington win is that USC, albeit they are coming off an impressive win against uh, Utah. Uh, different story uh but basically it's a team where you don't know what you're going to get every week in usc and a team where you largely know what you're going to get every week against washington even in the loss to cal it was uh the the defense did enough uh and since the loss to cal they have made the change of starting mcduffie at corner kind of moving Keith Taylor into a more nickel-y role where he's played uh, just as much safety as he's played corner, I want to say, in his UW career. Uh, and potentially they've decided he's better there. Or just just to spell Kyler Gordon also, one of the other corners. Uh, they've been kind of mixing and matching. Elijah Molden's been fantastic. The strength of USC is their uh, insane wide receivers. Uh, and I th- I... Uh, how many times have we talked about uh, Kwiatkowski and Jimmy Lake's uh, ability to develop NFL cornerbacks? Uh, they replaced a ton at the beginning of this year. They faltered against Cal, but Washington is a team where the coaches are good enough that the players improve, and the players they've been recruiting the last couple of years have been at a higher grade than the players they've had at any other time in their tenure. I think this defense is going to come around. I like. I th- I think the dogs can win this game by virtue of being able to slow up USC's receivers. Hostile environment for this quarterback who didn't plan on playing a snap this season. Uh, and uh, s- sad to say for USC, but Washington's got the lines in this one. Washington has the lines and they have the quarterback. Right. My yeah. only concern with the quarterback with Easton is like I don't I don't want to see him make a habit of threading the needle as quite as often as he did against BYU. Because again, I don't, it's not sustainable, right? Like against elite defenses, those are picks. Yeah. Uh, or dead receivers. Um, yeah. So like you can't like, you know, the one, the the Aaron Fuller over the middle pass that he caught in the end zone where he bounced off the safety. Like you don't, don't do that against. Uh, don't do that against USC. Oh yeah. Don't do that against USC because USC has a safety that's going to, and Aaron Fuller, if you do that. Yeah, I remember being um, like, he stayed on his feet after that, and I'm like, well, what are you? Yeah. Why not? What are you doing? Like, what? He just bounced off the dude. Hit like, the it was guy. <laughs> you can't, like, you can't do that. And so, but you know, so if Eason plays it smart, I think, and pulls back a little bit on, you know, just pure arm strength, forcing it into these windows, and and he's shown the ability with great touch, and you know, he's read good, you know, read the the plays well. If he just pulls that back a little bit, he'll have a good game. And then with USC, I think, you know, 
they are, you know, there's there was probably a reason that Matt Fink was their fourth string quarterback. He, you know, I'm sure he's a talented guy, and, and you know, it's it's a credit to their depth that they have a guy who can come in and, and do what he did against Utah. But he was also on, you know, unburdened by expectation when he came off the bench. Yep. As you as you pointed out, he was not expecting to play a single snap this whole season. And all of a sudden he's like USC's starting quarterback, which he walked around all camp, you know, all week on campus this week with that. Um, he's going to be going up against a defense that, you know, honestly, you would think Utah's defense would would be probably pretty good, you know, but I, I don't know. Maybe they maybe they relaxed a little bit when he came in because they thought, you know, the level of play would go down, whatever, whatever it is, they didn't look like Utah's defense. Yeah. That will change this week in a hostile environment. I I honestly believe he's gonna have a hard time. And they couldn't run the ball for squat against Utah. They they ran the ball for like a half yard of carry. They, you know, statistically, the analytics suggest they should have lost that game uh, pretty handily. Um, so I, I, you know, I guess I understand this, the line for that UW minus ten, but still seems high to me. Um, I hope I'm wrong though. Yeah, and I want to say potential uh, blessing in this game uh, for Washington is that you get. Uh, or I don't want to say that. Well, I do actually want to say that is that Washington is going to be forced into some defensive line switches, right? Because Joe Tryon got booted from the game in the second half against BYU uh, for a targeting play. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the deal is with Washington is that uh, 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 they have these senior D tackles in Bronson and uh, or D linemen, Bronson uh, yeah, Benning Potai, uh and Joe Tryon, uh, who, by the way, has a second name on his jersey, Shoyinka, I want to say, that nobody recognizes. He's put it on there, and everybody just calls him Joe Tryon. He's trying to be a hyphenator, and nobody buys it. It's yeah. it's inexplicable to me. But nobody honors that second name. Uh, but yeah. So, uh, Washington's D-line class... Uh, I don't even want to try saying something. Leo Talele or something like that. I'll learn how to say it as he plays more. But they have guys that are the proper size that are true freshmen on the defensive line who are going to see more game time in this game and against exactly the team that they need to be playing against. Exactly the team they were recruited to play against. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm hopeful uh, that can actually – they're going to get reps that they're going to need as the season goes along because uh, – one of the weird things about Washington's defense this year has been uh, a more reliance on the blitz to create quarterback pressure uh, where they were able to get it with Gaines and Vea and, you know, whoever else and kind of let everybody else drop back into coverage or, and let Bergervin clean up and whoever. Uh, now they're kind of like, you know, blitz and linebackers, blitz and corners, potentially to get back to what made Washington's defense fantastic, which is that they just play you straight up and they're better than you. And I think they have the potential to do that in this game. I hope so. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else to add? I don't have anything else. All right. That does it for this week's episode of Eligible Receivers. Uh, for Eric, I'm Warren. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week.